If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Bill Hemmer. This is Hemmer Time. The newest member of the Fox family, Larry Kudlow. Welcome. Thank you, Bill. Appreciate it. Mm. 4 p.m., Monday to Friday, Fox Business, and all parts in between, I do believe, right? <laughs> yeah. now, hey, Larry, when you were doing your show at CNBC before you went to the White House, how, how much did you really want to work here? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> Listen, uh, they, they do that to me about CNN all the time. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, right on. Look, I've always had a lot of friends at Fox, Fox News, Fox Business. But the CNBC years were great. You know, they taught me how to anchor and, uh, you know, made me a good TV guy. And by the way, those skills were very useful uh, working in the White House. Mm, how so? Well, in, in two ways. Number one, the president always wanted me as an economic spokesman or spokesperson. So obviously I did a lot of stand up stuff for the different cable stations. I did a lot of Sunday shows. So I knew how to do it. But the other thing that's interesting is a good anchor knows how to ask good questions and tease stuff out of guests. And in all the meetings, I mean, whether they were policy meetings inside the administration or meetings with foreign dignitaries who would come and visit, the ability to ask good questions, which is something I learned doing the old Cudlow Report show on CNBC, served me very well. Mm -hmm. Served me very well. Why do you think Trump hired you? Was it because of that, your ability to communicate? Well, I think I think that was one key point. A second key point was my policy views. You know, I've, I've been a Reagan supply sider sure. for a very long time. I worked for Reagan in his first term. And I helped the president put his tax plan together. We had a group, including Steve Mnuchin, who ran the Treasury, a very dear friend of mine. But the president went with, or then candidate Trump, liked are tax ideas, at least most of them. So on the policy side, he trusted me. By the way, I never asked for the position. He and I spoke on two occasions in his office in the, then in, in Midtown, New York. And he asked me, and I said, well, this is after he was elected. I said, you and I should talk from time to time. I'm going to come down and see you. But I'm very happy in my current uh, positions. I had CNBC, I had ABC radio, I was giving speeches, et cetera, et cetera. And um, when he called me in 2018, I was quite surprised, to be honest with you. I was coming home, I was in Connecticut, our Connecticut place, I was coming home on a Sunday from tennis and he just called. So I had to pull over because the reception was good. Connecticut's a backwards place. We don't have many cell towers. <laughs> so I pulled over and I talked to him for about a half hour. Yeah. And I wasn't quite sure. But um, then he said, I'm going to call you tomorrow night. I said, great. Thank you, sir. And, and he did. And that's when he first mentioned the uh, NEC job. And then he called me. The next night was a Tuesday night. I was having dinner 
with my pal, John Katsimatidis, we have a little dinner group and we were in um, Midtown restaurant. Anyway, called, it was busy, noisy. I stepped outside and talked to him on Fifth Avenue for a while. And finally, I just said to him, I said, sir, are you offering me a position? <laughs> he said, oh, yeah. Yeah, you're my guy. You're the only one. You're my guy. Congratulations. <laughs> so get to the point already. Um, did, exactly. did you, I mean, did you hesitate or did you say, I'm in this time? No, I, the, the night, the, the second call on Monday evening, he said, go talk to Judy, you know, and think about whether you would want to come down here. Some people in his group felt he had offered me the job then. I, I don't think I heard it. But by Tuesday, when he did offer me the job, yes, I accepted because Judy and I had talked about it at some length. And then he told me, uh, you'll come down, you know, maybe Thursday or Friday, and we'll stand, stand up together, have a news conference and make the announcement. So, okay, thank you, sir. So then Wednesday morning, Bill, it's great. I'm, I'm in my, uh, my home office and the phone rings, and it's the president. He says, look at you. You're so handsome. And he, of course, leaked it and was all over various news. He leaked stations. it. Uh, he leaked it. <laughs> uh, I want to get into this $2 trillion COVID deal in a minute here, but I'm just, I'm just a lot of things come to mind when you explain this story here. Uh, so let me just take it a little deeper. And by the way, I, I fully appreciate your comment about CNBC and the amount of respect you have for what you learned there. And now you, you bring your skills here. Um, I, I feel a similar way about CNN for 10 years. I, I got to see history change before my eyes for millions and millions of people. And I, that was an awesome experience on a personal and professional level. And for the past 15 years at Fox, I, I just feel very gifted to see to see so much of that, Larry. But what, yeah. on Trump, what does he do next? Well, interesting. I I spoke to him Saturday morning, last Saturday morning. He called me before my radio show to touch base on his uh, CPAC speech and and mine. I spoke at ten fifteen. He, of course, spoke at uh, later in the afternoon. He was in a very good space. I knew he was going to have a good speech. I had sent him uh, some numbers on one of his favorite topics, which is that he engendered not one but two economic recoveries pre-pandemic and then while the pandemic is still going on now with the D-shaped recovery. And we chatted for about 15 minutes or so. And in fact, I gave him the numbers on the vaccines. He had given Biden a by inauguration day, we had a vaccine, a daily run rate of 1.3 million, even though Biden keeps saying to people that there were no vaccines when he got there. And I encouraged POTUS to put that in, and he did. Mm. Uh, and he also put in the two recoveries. So I, I, I would take him at his word right now, Bill. In other words, what he said publicly at CPAC was that he intended to take his policies, tr what he called Trumpism, and he outlined it very nicely and uh, work to recapture the House and Senate in the 22 elections. I think that's going to be his first order, first priority. And I know he mentioned he left the door open for 24, but I, I don't think he's anywhere near making that decision. Right. I, I think and, he wants to reestablish his policy. I, I myself gave my speech at CPAC was a defense of his economic policies and with numbers, with numbers. Because, you know, Washington is often fact-free. He likes that a lot. Uh, Brooke Rollins, who's a colleague of mine in the White House Domestic Policy Council, 
and Jared Kushner and Linda McMahon and I, we are setting up a, um, a nonprofit think tank, which will emphasize POTUS's achievements and um, help set up some research to keep that vision in place. And I think he will use that on the campaign trail. Hmm. When you think about the last couple of years, how, how would you characterize the good and the bad from your experience in the West Wing? Well, I think that um, in policy terms, he was a very consequential president, Bill. I think uh, his achievements in lower taxes, lower regulations, energy, being tough with China, and by the way, the China trade deal itself, the uh, U.S.-Mexican-Canadian trade deal, and in foreign policy, I think the Abraham Accords in the Mideast uh, were highly consequential. And uh, he obviously chose the Sunni uh, Gulf states and Israel and turned his back on Iran, which uh, I sat on the National Security Council among my duties, and I, I think that was exactly the right decision. So these are things that will stand the test of time, and these are things that will be debated. So I think very, very consequential. He has his own style of communications, as we know. I would have done a few things differently over the three years that I was there, but I actually found him, you know, he and I would, would see each other or speak daily, and or more than that, but as a communicator myself, I always found when he stuck to the policies, he did very, very well, very well. You know, spoke to the country over the heads of the media. I think sometimes he, he picked fights beneath him, and I don't think that served him well at all. And of course, as we know, the last uh, couple of months were very disappointing. You know, I had my own uh, disagreements on that. And it's too bad it ended the way it ended. But I think, you know, judging from his polling numbers and judging from the CPAC speech, I think he's going to get past that bill and uh, move on. And as I said, he was in a very good space when I spoke to him Saturday, and I looked at him Sunday, and he did very well. He was calm, resolute. He wasn't, you know, in a mocking mood. He was in a serious mood, a very substantive mood. And I think he, when he's like that, there's nobody better. The wow. Honest with you, wow. Better. you know, I always think that, like, you New York guys, I'm from Ohio, as you know. I just think you New York guys have a way of communicating that the rest of the country doesn't. And I've always thought that, you know, he kind of surrounded himself with people from New York who are fast thinkers and fast talkers. And you're one of them. Well, I think that's fair. Yes. I mean, I think that's a fair assessment. <laughs> that's a compliment, by the way. You know, I remember when you took the job here, I sent you a text message. I said, welcome to the family, Larry. You remember what you responded? No. You said, Fox, exclamation point. Oh. <laughs> so this is like the first long conversation you're having since being an employee. So I, I really appreciate your time. And I, I'm going to come back to the Trump days in a moment here. You know, I, I want to I tell your listeners one anecdote about us, because you are a wonderful human being. And I will never forget this. Uh, several years ago, before I went to Washington, of course, you and I in a group, we were, we were going to some event, some dinner or some speech in Midtown, New York, and it happened to have been the evening my father passed away. So that would have been, gosh, uh, 2016, 2017, hmm. not sure. Anyway, I showed up at the event. I was not in good shape emotionally. I was worse than I thought I was. And I remember there was some construction going on and I tripped. And 
It was just a terrible moment. I was completely dazed. And you basically picked me up, got me centered, took my overcoat, just got me to that event. And for anyone listening, I hope you understand, folks, what a wonderful person Bill Hammer is. I just, it's an important story that I will never forget. Thank you, Larry. I remember the night. It was uh, during the holidays. And um, I was, listen, I was glad I could be there for you. Someone had to be. Thanks yeah. for sharing that. Okay, boss man, serious stuff here now. You got uh, what Republicans and Mitt Romney call a clunker on your hands. You got a two trillion dollar COVID relief package. I I don't. I guess I want to say what do you like about what do you don't like about it. But I guess the first question should be, does it pass? Yeah, I reckon it will. Regrettably, uh, I I think it will pass. I think it's going to be amended. The House version will be amended in the Senate somewhat. Uh, they're taking out the minimum wage, which was a very bad idea. And they actually, the parliamentarian took out the minimum wage, and now she's taking out some pork barrel stuff, which is not germane to the COVID relief bill. And I think there might be some changes, perhaps, in the, um, in the cash assistance to individuals, the checks, and perhaps the unemployment assistance. But by and large, you know, I think that bill could, uh, the, the, the necessary help, which should have focused, in my view, strictly on the vaccine distribution and health matters around that, uh, with some additional assistance, modest assistance for unemployment, uh, that thing could have been done uh, with about, let's say, $300 billion or some such. The Republicans had an option. They had an alternative for 600, uh, which would have been more targeted and a great improvement. But I don't even think you needed 600. So it's 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 not good. It's going to get mixed reviews. And um, interesting. You, you wonder how it wears, Larry. And I, I wonder if a lot of people are frankly are paying attention to the detail. You know, the, the money in there for schools is substantial. And it's paid out over seven years. It doesn't really make a ton of sense to do that. Uh, the state aid, I think some states probably need it. Others do not. I know New York needs it. I think Texas does not. But you got $350 billion in there for that. There's a few other... Anytime you're talking about $2 trillion, the, the details will overwhelm you. Um, there's suggestions now about universal basic income being a part of this. Uh, there's a provision there about federal workers... Uh, about getting time off and making a lot of money to really just not work. And if this is true, if these are true, and more people learn about it, how does it wear over time if it passes? I think the problem is you won't know until it passes. And I agree with your points, very important points. And, you know, these are reasons why I, I don't like the package. You know, you need to take a step back. Steve Mnuchin, former Treasury Secretary, was the first guest on my first show at Fox. And he's, I asked him and he said he was opposed to reconciliation because it should have been a bipartisan bill as the others before it. Bills in 2020 were bipartisan. In fact, the biggest bill and the most important bill, which uh, I think passed in early April, that's the one we all spent all that time up on the Hill uh, negotiating, that was roundly bipartisan, massive bipartisan vote. And even the one in December, which took longer to hatch, still was bipartisan. This one is not. And that's why it's so flawed. 
And although President Biden met with a handful of centrist Republicans, it was just that one time, nothing changed after that. He did not meet with the Republican leaders. You know, we had this four corners, we used to call it in negotiations, four corners, meaning the Speaker of the House, the Minority Leader of the House, and the Majority Leader of the Senate, and the Minority Leader of the Senate. They were constantly meeting the four corners and people from the administration were, you know, we were there. Mnuchin was our principal negotiator, but that worked. It worked. You know, we had to fight it out, but it worked and it generated bipartisanship. None of that has happened. You're saying that you're saying that President Biden's making a mistake. Well, I think so. I mean, his promise for unity is not being met. Okay, and maybe I shouldn't be shocked about that. But in any case, I think it was a mistake because You know, I had Senator Rob Portman on the show last night, a very, you know, level-headed guy, smart guy, fiscal budget trade guy. And he said that it would have been a more moderate bill if it had been negotiated in a bipartisan way as the ones last year were. And I think uh, Senator Portman is right. Hmm. You have to pass it to see what's in it. We have heard that before. Yeah. You're on with Larry Kudlow, his first podcast since leaving the White House and joining us here at Fox I'm Bill Hemmer. This is Hemmer Time. We will continue in a moment. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals, to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Back with Larry Kudlow. Larry, we kind of have a mutual affection for each other. And you have now restarted your WABC radio broadcast on Saturday mornings. Uh, I think it's just locally in New York for now, but uh, syndication is probably in the offing. That, that's my guess. Here, here's yes. what I want people to know about you. Uh, what's your slogan, the intersection of money and politics? Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I rarely miss the first 20 minutes of your broadcast on a Saturday morning. Huh. I wanted to hear what Kudlow's take was on the world after we shake off the past seven days of news and analysis and the get it from you. And... You do that so well. So here is my question for you. What do you read in the morning? How do you prep for your day? Uh, well, I'm glad you I'm glad you get the first uh, half hour. It's good. It's the best part, right? I mean, you got some good interviews, too. I don't, I don't want to take that away from you, but he- hearing Kudlow's 
20-minute monologue on how yeah. he sees the state of the world is yeah. invaluable. Yeah, well, thank you. You know, I read, uh, I scan a lot, read a lot. You're online. I, I mean, I love the Wall Street Journal, particularly the editorial page, but I like their news coverage too. But I try to absorb lots of things. I take a look at the front page of the Washington Post. I, I don't do the New York Times near as much as I used to. I'm interested in what, you know, some of the flashier news sites like Drudge, although I don't do Drudge as much as I used to. I think Newsmax has done a very good job. Um, I like to see the website, I, you know, Fox News, Fox Business. I will check CNBC. I'll have a look at what the Washington Times is, is saying in the morning. I love the New York Post. So I, basically, I leave maybe about uh, 90, to, 90 minutes to two hours Saturday morning to just take a look at everything, make some notes on uh, index cards. And um, by then, of course, the show is set up in terms of the interviews and the guests. And then I get to the studio and the show opens at 10 a.m. I usually get there about 9.30, 20 to 10. And just kind of sit there and think for a moment. Um, I used to do much more writing, not scripting, but making many, many notes about what I was going to say. I found in my old age, Bill, I just want to get the topics down. And then it's really kind of stream of consciousness nowadays. And it's working pretty well. Mm, sure is. That, the magic of radio is there's no teleprompter and it really is freewheeling. And you have a lot of flexibility even for commercial breaks. So I'm, I think I'm using those that flexibility better than perhaps I used to. Mm -hmm. I think two of the biggest topics for you over the weekend will be that COVID bill, certainly. I think the other topic, Larry, is the vaccination rate in America. I think yeah. we, we are going to be a very different country, in all likelihood, in about two months' time. I don't know yeah. about the rest of the world, Larry, but America is going to be in a better place. What do you think? 100%. Look, the theme of our Fox Business show, Bill, from, from the very first show, has been that that the vaccine process, which is, you know, skyrocketing. And I will say again, for the thousandth time, this comes is all built on the shoulders of President Trump's Operation Warp Speed, even though Mr. Biden won't credit him. But now it's taking off. And this is the single biggest important thing to get the kids back to school and to get workers back on their jobs. Number one, and the whole economy is now reopening there's going to be a good economic boom this year. Stock market's been telling us that. I don't think we needed the stimulus. I think what we needed was herd immunity from the vaccines, which is coming rapidly. Some authorities from Johns Hopkins and others, you know, perhaps by spring. And now this announcement yesterday that President Biden thinks everybody, you know, all adults will get a vaccine by May, whether that's specifically true or not, it doesn't matter. It's the right idea. It's the right spirit. And um, that's the single best thing we can do to restore prosperity in this country. Yeah. The single thing. Yeah. I don't need stimulus packages. I don't need fine tuning. I don't need regulations. I don't need taxes. I don't need to end the energy industry. None of that. What I need to do in public policy 
is get folks vaccinated and get the herd immunity. And we're closing in on it very fast. Mm, Sounds like you got the monologue figured out. By the way, so our listeners know, we are recording this interview at noon Eastern time on Wednesday afternoon, the 3rd of March. The reason I have to say that, Larry, because like during Trump time, you never know. (laughs) You never know what can change before uh, the weekend hits here. A few more questions for you. You're not a stockbroker, but what do you think investors should do right now? How much consideration do you give that? Well, I'm a long believer in a a long-term strategy and that you should buy the whole market. You should not, unless you're a professional. And most folks obviously are not. You buy the indexes or the exchange-traded funds. That gives you diversity. Uh, They're very cheap. Transaction costs are virtually zero. So you buy the S&P 500. Uh, You can buy the QQQ for the NASDAQ. You can buy... uh, Buy the SPY. Yeah, you can. And, you you know, international funds. uh, and, And don't trade them. Do not trade them. Keep adding to it. Young people should get in. And I think, by the way, millennials are investing, but uh, just you, you cannot time the market. It's the best advice I can give. I know, and I have very dear friends who are in the hedge fund business, and I know there's some really, really good ones, but on the whole, the hedge funds underperform the indexes and have for quite some time. So I'm a buy and hold guy. You're basically buying America. Actually, you're basically buying the world. S&P 500 is about, I don't know, 40, 45% international revenues nowadays from these big corporations. Mm-hmm. Stay with it. Just yeah. keep buying. Yeah. You, you, you mentioned the Wall Street Journal a few moments ago. You know, uh, business news, I, I think it runs the world. And I'll, I'll make my case and allow you to respond. Uh, I think before Murdoch took over the Wall Street Journal, I remember my, like, my buddies in college, they were finance majors. I went to Miami University in Oxford, Ohio. It's a big business school. It's, a, it's the Richard Farmer School of Business now. wasn't back then, but it is now. And the Wall Street Journal would show up at our fraternity house, and the thing looked like Greek to me. And I, I think Murdoch made it user-friendly. And Larry, business news drives the country. It drives the world. We must take an interest in it. It affects all of us. Yeah, well, I agree 100%. 100%. And I, and I yeah. would say, like, personal finance courses started in high school. Make it mandatory. Period. End of argument, Larry. Mm-hmm. You know, I think Mr. Murdoch did a lot of help by refashioning the journal. I think you're right. Made it user-friendly. Mm-hmm. With a great online operation. Fabulous online operation. And, of course, the editorial pages are a jewel in terms of believing in free enterprise and individual initiative and limited government. But yeah, business news, that's why I like the four o'clock time slot for our show. And I kind of like Saturdays because it's a roundup. And I kind of, you know, I do, I must confess, I do start with the market and the business news. You know, when when I'm collating stuff before the show Saturday morning. And we do the same on a daily basis. You know, when I we have our conference call with producers, and then I'll be heading over to the studio in a little while. What's, what's the business? I mean, here's the thing. Um, you and I are talking about the stimulus package. Well, the stimulus package has become business news, right? Yeah. It's political, but it's business. Mm-hmm. Stuff matters. 
Larry, it's great to be with you. And uh, welcome again to the team. Fox! Exclamation point, <laughs> as you would write. Check him out on WABC Radio on the weekends on Saturday mornings and also 4 o'clock Eastern Time, Monday to Friday on Fox Business. Thank you, sir. I consider you, you a friend and I always will. Best to your family. You bet. You too. Take care. Good deal. I'm Bill Hemmer. This is Hemmer Time. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com.